0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Welcome to part two in our a prayer ser- series to kick off the new year. And if you've got your Bible there, please go ahead and open it up to Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. Hebrews chapter four, uh, verse 16. And as you're turning there, let me ask you. What was the greatest privilege that you were given in 2017? What was the greatest privilege that you were given in 2017? Maybe for you, the greatest privilege you were given was an opportunity. Maybe it was a new job or, or to lead a certain team. Maybe you were involved in a project, or you got to go to a certain place, or serve in a certain way, or maybe have a new experience. What was the greatest privilege that you received in 2017? Maybe for you it was a relationship. Or maybe it was the enjoyment of a, of a treasured friendship. Or maybe for you it was an engagement. Anybody here get engaged in 2017? Anyone? Anyone? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Maybe for you, the greatest privilege you were given in 2017 was to be the husband of your amazing wife. Is that true, husband? All right. I see wives nudging husbands right now? That's great. Maybe the greatest privilege you were given in 2017 is you got to be the wife of your incredible husband. Is that true, wives? Is that true? What was the greatest privilege you were given in 2017? Let me suggest to you that if you are here and you are in Jesus Christ, the greatest privilege that you and I were given in 2017 was this, that at any time and in any place, you and I could draw near to the throne of grace and into the very presence of God himself. That was the greatest privilege you and I had in 2017, that in any time and in any place, we could draw near to the throne of grace and into the very presence of God himself. In other words, our greatest privilege in 2017 was this. It was prayer. Prayer. Prayer was our greatest privilege in 2017, and here's why. Because prayer is entering into the heavenly throne room. Prayer is drawing near to the throne of grace. Prayer is entering into the very presence of God himself. Prayer was our greatest privilege in 2017. Charles Spurgeon described prayer this way up on the screen. He said this, True prayer is an approach of the soul by the Spirit of God to the throne of God. Love that. True prayer is an approach of the soul by the Spirit of God to the throne of God. And that, loved ones, was our greatest privilege that we had in 2017. So question, what did we do with it? Did we truly take advantage of this privilege or did we take it for granted and squander it? I would love to say that in 2017 that I always understood that prayer was my greatest privilege. I would love to say that at every opportunity I was drawing near to the throne of grace and into the presence of God. I would love to be able to say that. But that's not true. Now, don't get me wrong. I prayed this year. I probably prayed more this year than I ever have before. Yet, the truth is, is that my prayer life in 2017 did not reflect the reality that prayer is my greatest privilege. How about you? What did your prayer life look like in 2017? Did you draw near to the throne of grace at every opportunity and into the very presence of God? Did your prayer life in 2017 reflect the reality that prayer is your greatest privilege? But here's what we must see tonight. That prayer is not just something that we ought to do, but prayer is actually something that we get to do. And we get to do it only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's only because of his finished work that we get to enter into the presence of God anywhere, anytime. And there's no greater privilege in the entire universe than that. Prayer is our greatest privilege privilege. Therefore, point number one today is this. You could jot this down. Let us pray at the throne of grace with confidence. Let us pray at the throne of grace with confidence. Have a look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. The author says this. He says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. And so, what exactly is going on here in Hebrews chapter 4? Why is the author telling these Jewish Christians, these converts, that they need to draw near to the throne of grace with confidence? Well, here's why because as a community, they are being brutally persecuted, they are being mistreated. For some of them, their property has been seized. For some of them, they've been imprisoned with no food and water. Others are being tortured. Others have been killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And now to these suffering saints who so desperately need the grace of God right now for they're going to persevere another day. This author tells them what they need to do in verse 16. Look what he says. Let us then with confidence draw near To the throne of grace. Notice that he's not just telling them to pray, but he's telling them how to pray. Let us pray with confidence. Let us pray with confidence. He's telling them to pray with confidence. This is how they're supposed to pray. But what does that mean? How exactly does one pray with confidence? Well, thankfully, in verse 14, the author tells us look at verse 14. Look what he says. He says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And that term, hold fast our confession, means to grip tightly to the truth of the gospel. And so here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying if we're going to persevere under this pressure... If we're going to persevere under this persecution, we have to remember the gospel. We have to remember that because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we now have access to God. And so let that fill you with confidence and let's just go to him now and draw near to his throne through prayer. That's what he's saying. Look what else he's saying too in verse 14. He says, since then we have, now notice this, a great high priest Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. This is where their confidence is going to come from. It's from remembering that Jesus Christ is their great high priest who has now made a way for them to enter into the presence of God. This is why they should be praying with confidence. And this is why we should be praying with confidence as well. Because Jesus Christ is our great high priest who has made a way for us to enter into the very presence of God. Now, to help us understand what that actually means, let's have a look at this a diagram on the screen. Now, the great high priest, or the, the high priest in Israel, was, was over all of the priests and one of the most important parts of his job was once a year, on the Day of Atonement, he was to make a sacrifice and then take the blood of that sacrifice into the temple, into this area right here, which is the holy place, but then past the holy place into the Holy of Holies. This is where the presence of God was. And this is, this is where no one was allowed to go. Only the high priest, only once a year. He would pass from the holy place, pass the curtain, into The presence of God in the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. This is where the mercy seat was. And he was to go beyond the curtain into the Holy of Holies so that he could spray the mercy seat with the blood of the sacrifice as a symbolic atonement for the sins of the people. But now in verse 14, here's what we're being told. That Jesus Christ is our high priest. But he's not just any high priest. He is our great high priest. And he is our great high priest because he didn't come to just some symbolically atone for sins by sprinkling the blood of an animal. He came to actually atone for sins by the shedding of his own blood. Jesus Christ is our great high priest because he didn't come to perform an annual ritual at an earthly temple. He came to give himself as a once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. Jesus Christ is our great high priest because he didn't come to enter into the Holy of Holies behind the curtain. He came to tear the curtain in half. He came to rip the curtain down. He came to remove the barrier of sin between man and God. He came to make a way for us to enter directly into the presence of God. So how did he do that? Well, Hebrews 10:14 up on the screen, tells us, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So if you are here tonight, And you are being sanctified. If you are one of those who are being sanctified, the Spirit of God lives in you. You are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. If you are one of those who are being sanctified, then you are one of those who he has already perfected for all time. Here's what that means. That if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ has made a way for you to be perfect in the sight of God. And why has he done this? Here's why. So that you can then enter into the presence of God. Because you can't enter into the presence of God until you are first declared to be perfect. So, how then did Jesus Christ make a way for us to be declared perfect in the sight of God so we could then enter into the presence of God? Well, here's how. Here's how. By becoming our perfect sacrifice and by becoming our perfect righteousness. Here's what that means. Firstly, Jesus became our perfect sacrifice. Meaning meaning that when Jesus Christ was crucified, he took upon himself all of the sin of everyone who would ever place their faith in him. And then the wrath of God for that sin was poured out upon him in full. The wrath of God for our sin, the hell that we deserve, was poured out upon Jesus Christ in full and he paid for our sins. And when he had made full payment for our sins, he said it is finished and he died. But then three days later, he rose up from the dead, proving that God the Father had accepted his sacrifice as full and complete payment for all of our sin. This is how Jesus Christ became our perfect sacrifice, by taking our sins upon himself, by taking all of our sins away, and paying for our sins in full, so that God can now look upon us just as though we have never sinned. Awesome. But to be perfect, to be perfect in the sight of God, we need to be more than that. To be perfect in the sight of God, we also need to be righteous. We need to be righteous, which means that we need to also be perfectly obedient. Here's what I mean up on the screen see, Jesus Christ, when we, when we look at this, this kind of chart here with sin and, and righteousness, Jesus Christ, when he takes away our sin, he brings us here. He brings us here so that God can look upon us as though we had never sinned, just as though we'd never sinned. But that's not perfect. We are not perfect. Being, being seen without sin is not perfection. He kind of brings us to zero, What we need is righteousness as well. We need obedience, not just a little bit of obedience. We need perfect obedience. To be made perfect in the sight of God, we must also have perfect obedience. And so to make us perfect in the sight of God, Jesus Christ became for us our perfect righteousness. Our perfect righteousness. And here's how. By living the perfectly obedient life that we could never live for us. He lived the perfectly obedient life that we could never live. He lived it for us. Now be amazed, because here's what happened to you. The moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you became connected to Jesus Christ. And the moment you became connected to Jesus Christ, his perfect life of obedience was credited by God to your account as though you yourself had done it awesome. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that now, if you are connected to him, God no longer sees you like this. He no longer sees you as some dead branch laying on the ground, unconnected, full of sin, without any righteousness. He he no longer sees you like this. Because you're connected to Jesus Christ, this is how he sees you. He sees you as a branch connected to the vine. He sees you as a branch connected to the vine of Jesus Christ, and He is righteous. And because you are connected to Him by faith, God counts you to be righteous as well. So consider it. When God looks at us connected to Jesus Christ by faith, He sees us as though we never sinned because Jesus is our perfect sacrifice But he also sees this as righteous because Jesus Christ is our perfect righteousness. And why has God done all of this again? Why has he done it? Here's why. So that we can enter into his presence. That's the whole point so that we can enter into his presence. And when we really begin to understand this, that Jesus Christ has made us perfect in the sight of God so that we can enter into his presence, here's what it does. It fills us with confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. It fills us with confidence to pray. So therefore, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne that is above every throne. Why? Because Jesus Christ has made us perfect in the sight of God. So now the throne of God is no longer a throne of judgment for us. Now the throne of God is no longer a throne of wrath for us. Now the throne of God is no longer a throne of terror for us. Now the throne of God is a throne of grace for us because now it is the very place where we get to enter into the presence of God. Have you ever been in a situation where you just really lacked confidence? I think we all have, haven't we? A situation where you just felt so insecure, Why do we feel that way sometimes? Here's why. Because we're focusing on ourselves and we're focusing on all our failures and all our shortcomings and all our weaknesses, and then we we think that everyone around us is focusing on those things too, so we just want to escape and remove ourselves and get away. Listen, we never have to feel that way with God. We never have to feel that way with God because Jesus Christ is our perfect sacrifice and our perfect righteousness. Therefore, God says to us right now, draw near, draw near with confidence, come with confidence to the throne of grace. And so ask yourself, am I doing that? Am I doing that? Am I drawing near to the throne of grace with confidence because Jesus Christ is my perfect sacrifice and he's my perfect righteousness? Am I doing that? Because there's many of us here and the reason why we don't pray is because we feel insecure with God. We feel too sinful to go to God. We feel too dirty to go to God and so we don't pray. But here's what we need to do. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, we need to remember that God has declared us to be perfect in His sight. But not only that, look at verse 15. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ knows what it's like to live in this world. Jesus Christ knows what it's like to face temptation. He had had the full kingdom of darkness come against him. Jesus Christ knows what it's like to suffer more than anyone. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to live in this world. And so he has sympathy for us. He has compassion for us. His heart toward us, his heart toward you is compassion. So consider it, consider it. Jesus Christ has made us perfect in the sight of God and his heart toward us is compassion. Therefore, loved ones, let us pray at the throne of grace with confidence, with confidence. So what does that look like exactly? Well, that brings us to our second point. You could jot this down. Let us pray at the throne of grace for mercy and for grace. Let us pray at the throne of grace for mercy and grace. Have a look back at verse 16. The author says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace. And so here's what happens when we draw near to the throne of grace. We receive mercy. We receive mercy. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. So what is mercy? Well, mercy is not receiving what we deserve. That's mercy. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. So let me ask you, have you received the mercy of God? Have you received the mercy of God? You see, before I got saved, I wasn't kind of like this agnostic guy on the fence. Maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. I don't know. I was way over here. I was on this side of the fence. I was an atheist. I had a library of atheist books. I thought Christianity was the biggest farce on the face of the planet. I loved to debate with Christians. I thought I was really smart. And then I met my now wife, Natasha, and she was also far from the Lord. We got married and her father's a pastor. One day, he handed me a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I had no intention of reading it. By God's providence, it sat on my night table for months and months and months and months. And then one night, I couldn't sleep. I kind of opened my eye a little bit. It's about 11 o'clock. Saw this book sitting there. I was like, ah, whatever. Grabbed it, started flipping through it a little bit. I got about three quarters of the way through that book and the Spirit of God moved upon me and the scales fell off and I believed that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is and I got saved right there in my bed and ended up on my bathroom floor at 3.30 in the morning giving my life to Jesus Christ. In that moment, I knew one thing. As As I knelt on that floor, I knew I was before a mighty king and I had nowhere else to go and I needed his mercy. And I asked him for his mercy because of the cross and he gave me mercy. He forgave me. Let me ask you, have you received the mercy of God? Because right now, right now, the spirit of God is moving in this room. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, right now is another opportunity that you are being given to go to the throne of grace and to receive mercy. But after we get saved, does that now mean we don't need mercy anymore? Do we become mercy graduates? After we get saved, look at this command in verse 16. This is to Christians. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we we may receive mercy. This is for us. We need to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. And why is that? Well, here's why. Because we still sin. And yes, all of our sin is legally forgiven at the cross. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, all of your sin is legally forgiven. This is no longer a legal matter. Now it's a family matter because we're sinning against our heavenly Father and we are grieving Him and we are inflicting sorrow upon Him and we're disrupting our fellowship with Him, with our sin. So let me ask you, do you have a regular time where you are drawing near to the throne of grace to receive mercy, to confess sin to your heavenly Father and to receive his forgiveness. Because God is calling us even right now, right now, to draw near to the throne of grace, to receive mercy, to confess sin, to receive his forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 up on the screen says this. Love this verse so much. There's life right here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love this verse. Maybe you're thinking about a a regular time to confess sin like every day. I don't know if I really, I don't even know what I would confess. I mean, do I sin enough to go before God every day? Here's some laughing in the room. It's a good sign. Okay. A teacher, a a lawyer, one time asked Jesus this up on the screen. He said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And anything that's not that is sin. And when I read that, love God with all my heart, love God with everything I have, love my neighbor as myself, wow, I have a lot of sin to confess every day. Do you? What do we need to confess? Well, here are some ideas up on the screen. What do I need to confess? Well, how about this? Not loving God as I should. He is worthy of all of our affection at all times. God, forgive us for not loving you as we should. Or how about not loving my neighbor as myself? I just think of my own individual context. What does it look like for me to love my neighbor? Well, it starts with my closest neighbor, who's my wife. And then my kids in the church. My parents, my extended family. The lost, the broken, the hurting. God even commands us to love our enemies. God, forgive us for not loving our neighbor as ourselves. How about this? Pride. Just being so focused on ourselves, so being full of ourselves. God, forgive us. How about idolatry? Anytime we love anything more than God, or how about this Just lack of gratitude? Just not thankful, not thankful. God, forgive us for our lack of gratitude. How about any anytime we have wrong motives in our hearts? I mean, we can, we can do a lot of the right things, but are our motives right? Or how about the sin I'm not even aware of? How much sin are we actually even aware that we're committing? In Psalm 19, David prayed for God to forgive him from the sins he didn't even notice. All of these things, they grieve God. They inflict sorrow on the heart of God. They disrupt our fellowship with God. This is what sin does. And so what happens then when we draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and confess sin and ask him for forgiveness? What happens? Here's what happens. What happens? He is faithful, and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness every single time. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting with open arms, and we go to him to confess sin. He's he's waiting. He's running toward us to embrace us and forgive us. Amazing. So let me ask you again, are you doing that? Because mercy and forgiveness can only be found at one place, the throne of grace. If you want forgiveness, you have to go to the throne of grace, whether it's for the first time today or the millionth time. Mercy can only be received at the throne of grace. But that's not all we need. Mercy isn't all we need. Look, there's more. Look at verse 16 again. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and look and find grace. So consider it mercy can only be received at the throne of grace. And now we're being told that all the grace we need, all the grace we need, can only be found at the throne of grace. What is grace then? Well, grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. And the greatest grace that you and I can ever receive, period, is the privilege of drawing near to the throne of grace and to enter into the very presence of God. This is the very thing, the ultimate thing we don't deserve. We don't deserve God. We don't deserve God. This is the ultimate grace. This is the greatest form of grace that God has given us himself and now he's calling us to himself. And yes, he's calling us to himself to give us all the help we need. But first and foremost, he's calling us to himself to give us our greatest need, which is himself through relationship. Through relationship with him. And so question, if we have been given Unlimited access to the throne of grace, and we have. If we've been given unlimited access to God, and we have. If prayer truly is our greatest privilege, and it is, then why don't we pray more? Why don't I pray more? Why don't we pray more? Well, John Piper puts it this way. He said, If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. A huge, Massive reason why you and I don't pray as we should is because our souls are stuffed with small things. And so we feel full and we feel like we don't have any need. One of the biggest reasons why you and I don't pray is because our souls are stuffed with small things. Ask yourself, What have I been filling my soul with? My wife Natasha recently went to a medical appointment where she was told that she was dehydrated and she had to drink a lot more water and so so she was told she needs to drink seven big glasses of water a day. And so she started to do that and, uh, and the most remarkable thing happened. Like, if you know my wife at all, you know that she loves salt. Natasha loves salt, salty snacks, anything salty. When she started drinking enough water, her craving for salt, it just kind of started to fizzle away. Something else about Natasha, she loves sugar, anything to do with chocolate. And when she started to drink enough water, her desire for chocolate just kind of started to fizzle out. When she started to drink enough water, her craving for for junk food, it just kind of started to, to fizzle out. Likewise, when we begin to regularly draw near to the throne of grace, here's what we are going to find, that all these things that we crave, these small things we stuff our souls with, entertainment and entertainment and entertainment and possessions and money and gadgets and stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff, it just starts to become less and less important to us. And here's why. Because we are drawing near to the throne of grace and we're receiving grace and our souls are getting filled up in a good way with grace and we start to feel content and satisfied because we have experienced grace at the throne of grace beginning with the ultimate grace of entering into the very presence of God. Look at Psalm 73. This is, this is Asaph, a David's worship leader. Look what he says here. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now notice this, my portion forever. God is our portion forever. So think about that. He's going to be enough to satisfy us for all of eternity And so surely, surely he's enough to satisfy us now. I mean, this is what Asaph is actually experiencing. He tells us, and there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. I want that. Do you want that? There is nothing, nothing, really Asaph, nothing on earth I desire besides you. I want that. And listen, God has grace for that. God has grace. We can can grow in in being satisfied in God. He He has grace for that, but it's only going to be found at the throne of grace. It's only going to be found at the throne of grace. God also has grace for this, grace for trials. Grace for trials. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, "'My grace is sufficient for you, "'for my power is made perfect in weakness.'" Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So often we've heard that either we're kind of coming out of a trial or we're in a trial or we're going into a trial. That's kind of life, right? And there's some of us here, and then we're in a trial, and our reality is that trial is never going to be over until we step into glory. That's just reality. But listen, God has grace for our trials. God has sufficient grace for our trials, but that grace can only be found at the throne of grace. If we want grace for trials, we have to go to the throne of grace. God also has grace for this, grace for temptation. 1 Corinthians 10:13, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Anyone here ever tempted to sin? Anyone? Okay, come on, come on. I mean, just me? Is it just me, really? Okay, come on. Like, every day, every day, we are there, there's temptation, but listen, God has grace for that. God has grace for us to, to actually overcome in the moment of temptation, but we, we have to go to the throne of grace. If we're gonna receive that grace, we have to go to the throne of grace. That's the only place that grace is found. God also has grace for this, grace for obedience. Isaiah 41.10, love this verse so much. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Okay, this just in. We can't obey God apart from the grace of God. We can't obey. He's He's made no provision for us to obey him apart from his grace. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We can do nothing. God has grace for obedience, but if you want that grace, you've got to go to the throne of grace to find it. Grace upon grace. So question, will we make a practice of going to the throne of grace in 2018 through prayer? And maybe there's something inside of us right now that's just, that's just turning and just saying, no, I don't want to do that. That sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like wrestling. I don't really want to pray. And listen, that's your flesh talking. And I get that. I get that because my flesh says the exact same thing. But here's what we need to do. We need to go to the throne of grace regardless of how we feel. We just need to go We need to go this week, this week, setting aside a time and setting aside a place where you can draw near to the throne of grace and just see what happens. Just see what happens. See if you aren't blessed as you draw near to the throne of grace this week. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this. He said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. He will reward you. And so maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not even sure really what I would pray about. Well, here's a great start. Maybe you've seen this acronym before, ACTS. ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. This is just a, a great a model for prayer. Adoration, entering into the presence of God with, with worship. Even taking the time to say, thank you, God, that I can enter into your presence right now because Jesus is my perfect sacrifice. He's my perfect righteousness. Thank you, God. Thank you. You are awesome. And just to, to tell God what you know about him, he's perfect, he is love, he is so great. To enter into his presence with adoration. And then this, confession. What is Confession. Confession is receiving mercy. Going to God, confessing our sins to our Father, asking for forgiveness, receiving mercy. And then this, thanksgiving. Oh, what does that mean? It means thanking Him for His grace. Thanking Him for His grace. What are the top 10 things in your life that you are thankful for? Because listen, it's all grace. We don't deserve any of it. You know what I'm thankful for right now? A furnace that works. What are, we, what are we thankful for? How about this? Supplication. What supplication? It's asking God to do even more. It's asking God, more grace. Please, more grace, God. Maybe thinking, well, what else would I ask for? Well, here's some ideas. How about this? Show me. God, show me more of yourself. Show me more of your glory. Amaze me, God, with who you are. And, or how about this? Change me. God, would you, would you work in my heart? Would you produce awe of you? Would you fill me with love for you? Would you fill me with love for my neighbor? Or how about this? Save them. God, would you save those family members? Would you save those coworkers? Would you save those neighbors? Or how about help them? God, you see those people over there in need. Would you, would you go and would you meet that need? Pray for our elders. Pray for our elders. Pray for our church. Pray for the big sea church around the world. Pray for our city. Pray for our country that God would bring a sweeping revival through Canada. Pray for unreached people groups. Pray, 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 pray. We have so much to be praying for. Which is why in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul said this. He said, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. So yes, we need to set, a, set aside a time to pray. We need to set aside a place to Pray. But then we need to take prayer into the everyday, normal, boring moments of life. We need to take prayer with us because at any time and in any place, we are able to enter into the presence of God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So again, again, will we make prayer a priority this year? Or better yet, will we make prayer the priority? priority this year because all the mercy that we need and all of the grace that we need is available to us if we will only go to the throne of grace. So let us pray at the throne of grace for mercy and grace. And what are we going to receive if we do that? Well, that brings us to our final point. You can jot this down. Let us pray at the throne of grace for help at the right time. Let us pray at the throne of grace for help at the right time. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace, notice, to help in time of need. To help in time of need. And the literal translation of that phrase, to help in time of need, is this. Well-timed help. Well-timed help. It's the idea of God coming through right at the last minute. Well-timed help, which means this. When we draw near to the throne of grace, God is going to provide us with all the grace we need, but it's, it's going to be in his perfect timing and not ours. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be on his timetable, not ours. He's going to provide all the grace we need, but it's going to be according to his perfect wisdom and his plan, not ours. When I was a kid and we used to go to restaurants, there is a family member, I'm not going to name any names, okay, an anonymous family member, and uh, this person would order a steak and when the waiter would ask this person, how would you like the steak, this is how they would respond. He would say, this person would say, burn it, burn it. And the waiter would be like, what? He'd be like, burn it like a hockey puck, burn it. (laughs) So the waiter would come out and it would be like medium well. And the person would say, no, no, burn it, send it back. And then it would come out again and it would be really well done. And and the person would say, no, send it back, burn it, burn it. And then eventually, this used to happen, eventually the the chef comes out. And the chef says, I can't do that. I can't can't do what you're asking me to do. This is not the best way to prepare this. I'm not going to do it. Likewise, so often, we look at the situations in our lives and we say, okay, God, I know what I need and I know when I need it, and so here's the plan, God. Please do it, amen. But from God's perspective, we may be asking him for a burnt steak compared to what he wants to do. And for some of us, We've stopped praying because God isn't doing the thing we've asked him to do. But what if, what if God is up to something that is far better? What if the thing we are asking for is like a burnt steak compared to what God has planned? What if God really is working all things for our greatest good? What if he really is working all things together for his maximum glory? Because listen, he is, he is And so what if right now God is calling us to persevere in prayer and to not give up because he wants to use our prayers to bring about his perfect plan in his perfect timing. What if, what if right now God is calling us to persevere in prayer and to not give up because he wants to teach us that our greatest privilege is to enter into his presence. Prayer is our greatest privilege. So again, What will we do with that privilege in 2018? Will we take it for granted? Will we squander it? Or will we with confidence draw near to the throne of grace and into the presence of God?